Okay, guys, we're in Lesson 12, and remember, we've been actually here a couple weeks now, so we're going to wrap it up today. Last week, we took a pause to kind of talk about the issue of renewing your mind and tell you the importance of it. I hopefully everybody grasped the reality of that, that your mind, your mind needs to be renewed. You had an unregenerated mind, a reprobate mind, before coming to Christ. And so your mind needs to be renewed through the Word of God. And because you want to put off that old behavior and put on some new behavior. So that's what we're going to talk about today, is the putting on of new behavior. So let me kind of just work my way through here. We're going to talk today about the practice of the new man. Now, let me, let me just say this. As we begin this, I need to kind of help you, because when we go through these things, immediately some of you are just going to write it off. You're going to say, you've got to be kidding me, George. Is Paul crazy? I mean, nobody can be that perfect. That's going to be a response that you're going to have. Even though you're going to raise that, you won't raise it out loud, you'll raise it in your mind. Nobody can be that perfect. Well, I want to remind you, let's think about the context of the passage. Because you've got to think about what he's saying overall to understand what he's about to tell us. Because remember, if you take a text out of the context, you're left with a what? A con. Now remember, he just told us, in verse 17 through 19, up to 20 I believe, that we were no longer to walk as the Gentiles do. That is in the futility of our minds. We were no longer to live as they do, just kind of going with the flow. But rather, he tells us, to renew our minds, the spirit of our minds, which we do that through the Scripture. And then he says, you, you know, take off the old, so you take off the old behavior, and you put on the new behavior. So you're going to replace your old habits, your old way of life, with a new way of life. And, and the way the text reads, it doesn't come out in our English language. Greek is a little bit more precise than our English language. The way the text reads, it's a continual action. It's not a one-time thing. Oh, I'm going to be this, and, and, and then you try it, and you fail, and it's like, oh, forget it, I give up. This is, I, I guess a better way for us to look at it is, how many of you have goals at work? You know, the, you know, the boss says to you, this is your goal, this is what we're trying to reach. Now, it may be start off slow, and it seems like you're never going to meet the goal, but you've got to keep what? Working at it to meet the goal. This is what we're going to look at here, is we're looking at goals of behavior that reflect the new man. So there's, there's wiggle room here, because first of all, I think God understands, because of our corruptness, that you're going to fall and you're going to stumble. That you're going to struggle. So what we're going to do here now is we're going to look at these practices, the practice of the new man, and I don't want you to look at it and say, oh man, there's no way ever I'm going to be able to be this. You need to look at it, this is the goal that you're striving for. This is what sanctification is about, about putting on the new. Now, does anybody understand how long sanctification takes? How long does sanctification take? First of all, does anybody know what sanctification means? Let me explain to you what it means. Sanctification means that you become like Jesus in your life, in the way you live. 
You become like Christ in your actions, in your attitude. Now, does anybody know how long that takes? Well, not forever. Your earthly life, yes, until you die. Okay? That's why Paul would say something like this in the letter to Corinthians. He would say for you to work out your salvation because sanctification is a part of your salvation process of you becoming like Jesus. So let's take a look. We're going to look at verses 25 through 32. And we're going to see what the Apostle tells us we need to do. So let's, let's take them section by section here, verse by verse. Look with me at verse 25. Therefore put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now here's what he's saying here. Having put away falsehood, believers are to tell the truth. Believers are to tell the truth. Now, here's what the goal is, folks, because the reality is, is I'm just going to be honest with you, we're all liars. That's inbred in our nature. You have lied. Oh, I don't lie. Well, let's see if we can talk to your parents. They'll tell you whether or not you lied as a child. And they'll tell you that they didn't have to teach you that. Lying comes natural to all of us. Now what happens is, is as we get older, we learn how to manage it. You understand? We learn how to manage. Now we know some people who don't know how to manage their lying, and when they don't know how to manage their lying, they're always getting in trouble, aren't they? Because their lies are being found out, and especially if they tell one lie about another lie, and sooner or later people figure out, man, this guy's a liar. But for the rest of us, maybe we're not like that. We are actually experts in managing our lying. We, we, we manage it so much that we have terms for it. I'm fudging the truth. I'm telling a little white one. And actually, we can even do this. I'm telling a half-truth. You know, all of that is deception. Understand, lying is deception. And lying comes natural to us because we view it as a method of self-protection. You know, I had a friend years ago in my first church, he used to say this, that lying is an abomination unto God, but a great help in a time of need. And, and that's where a lot of us are, isn't it? But this is what Paul's trying to say to us now. That, that mentality is reflective of what? The old way. You understand? The, the way that everybody else operates in the futility of their mind. Now, I, because of the renewal of my mind, because of truth now, am supposed to become what? Someone who tells the truth. Someone who deals honestly with his neighbor. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So this is the goal. The goal is, is I'm to put away falsehood and what? Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Now, here's the reason. We're, we're to speak truth to one another because we belong to one body. Listen, here's the thing. I want you to understand. Now, everybody in here, especially in our area, we understand family, right? We understand family in our area because our area is very clan-oriented. Just look, this time of year is when we have folks who have what? Reunions. And family get-togethers. In fact, you will be more apt to get together with your family than you will be with anybody else. 
So we understand family, right? But what I want you to understand is that the Bible introduces another concept. And the other concept that it's introducing is, is that you have another family now. Probably more closer than you realize, and that is your church family. It's the body, as it's referred to here. And so because you are part of another family, it's saying that you are to, it's a family of truth, you need to what? Be truthful with one another. Okay? Be truthful with one another. Now let's look at verses 26 and 27. He's going to go on to the next issue here. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Both of these words are both of these verses are together, and it's really talking about the issue of dealing with anger. Now let me just stop for a moment. Does everybody realize that being angry is not a sin? Does everybody understand that? Maybe you thought, wait a minute, wait a minute now. I thought anger was wrong. Hold on a second. Let me explain to you. Being angry is not a sin. It's what you do with it. You may want to write that down. Being angry is not a sin. It's what you do with it. I have a friend. Uh, he's come, He spoke here years ago. He did a, a moose hunting seminar for us here years ago. He's, he's co-written a couple books on anger. And his definition of anger is this, and I think this is a good definition. Anger is when a value system that you have has been reproached. Anger is when a value system that you have, a, a system of right and wrong in your mind, has been reproached, and you get angry. So, for instance, when Jesus went into the temple and cleared the temple of the money changers and so forth, do you think he was angry? Now, was that sin? No, that was righteous anger. Because his value system, the holiness of the place, because this place shall be called, what, a house of prayer is what he said, was being reproached. So being angry is not a sin. The issue is what you do with it. Now, the problem is a lot of us don't know how to handle our anger. You understand? And so our anger comes out in destructive manners. In abusive manners. You understand what I'm saying? So, we, and a lot of times our anger comes out because maybe our value system, now here's another one, our value system is messed up. You understand what I'm saying? It may be that your value system is messed up, and so therefore you get angry about stuff you shouldn't get angry about. But anger is not sin, it's what you do with it. So I want you to see what the apostle tells us that we need to do here. While we may leg be legitimately anger, while they may be legitimately angry, they are not to sin. You can be legitimately angry, but the issue is don't sin. This is what he's trying to say here. Is that while they may be legitimately angry, they are not to sin. So, if I'm going to put on this new behavior, it's okay for me to be angry, because you're going to have to be angry at some things. There are some things... When you watch the news, you just get angry about. Legitimately angry. But the issue is what you do with it. What you do with it. In fact, here, understand something. 
if you are a Bible-believing person and you embrace biblical values, you're, you should get angry at the, when those values are reproached. The issue is what you do with it. And so he's saying here, you could be legitimately angry, but don't sin. Don't fly off the handle. Don't lose control emotionally. Learn to, to handle your anger. In fact, that's, we have anger management issues, don't we? We have places where you can go and learn to deal with your anger. Because we have a lot of people that don't know how to handle their anger. So the reality is, is that they may be they may be legitimately angry, but they're not to sin. Now here's what here's what we do: we are not to allow anger to simmer in our lives. Notice what he says there: Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Here he's saying is is don't don't let it linger on in your life. Don't in fact. The implication here is don't let it don't let the sun go down that day without you dealing with it. Now it may take a little bit longer, but this is the, there's a point he's making here. The point is is you don't drag it out. You don't let it simmer in your life. Now, I'll be vulnerable for you with you for a moment. Lori'll tell you this. I'm one of those guys I bury my anger. So when I get angry, I let it simmer, and I bury it. Now, a lot of guys are like that. Okay? Now, here's what happens, though. You weren't created to carry anger. Because every one of you has got a boiling point. And sometimes that boiling point is the most insignificant, silly thing. And then you blow up. And you know what? You may be simmering for something legitimate. But you haven't dealt with your anger. The problem is, is when you blow up over something insignificant, it's kind of hard to deal with it, isn't it? Because it's like, what are you all upset about? This is ridiculous. You know, it doesn't matter anymore. And so, do you, do you understand? You're not to let it go down. Let the sun go down on the issue. Deal with the issues. Don't let them simmer. Now, all right, let me just, because we got married couples here, let me just go ahead and say this to you, okay? I, I, I've done premarital, and a lot of times it's, it happens. You have, usually it's always like this. One couple wants to settle it immediately. Another wants to think on it. So you immediate folks don't go to them and say, well, you know, George said we've got to settle this today before the sun goes down. No, 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 let's, let's be realistic. Those of you who need to settle things immediately, give, it some, give the other person some space. And for those of you who need to take some time, hurry up with your processing. You see my point. Here's what the Bible is saying. If I'm going to put on new behavior, now let's just stop for a moment, because just with this issue, you can look at this issue and you could say, holy moly, George, there is no way. This is not something you can change overnight. This is something you've got to work on. Do you understand, with every one of these, the first one telling the truth, this one about dealing with anger, this is the goal. 
This is the new behavior I'm trying to put on. And the only way that I could put on that new behavior, go all the way back to verse 23, is what? Renew my mind with the Word of God. Change my way of thinking. So here it's telling me, it's okay for me to be angry, but don't sin. And here's the other one now. Don't let it simmer. Hey, here's the folks. You've got to understand something. You may want to write this down. Anger always comes out. Anger always comes out. You may bury it. It's only for the moment. It will reveal itself later on in your life. Except when it reveals itself later on, It, it's going to be a lot worse than if it had revealed itself when it needed to. Did you understand what I'm saying? So don't let it simmer. Now, here's one other thing he tells us here. Here's the reason why. Because this is the, I think, really, we're not to allow Satan to have a foothold in our lives. Listen, if you let if you let anger simmer in your life, if you don't deal with anger, if you don't properly, adequately address it in your life, if you let it simmer in your life, here's what you're doing. You are opening your life for the biggest button pusher in the world to know what buttons to push in your life. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, Satan is a button pusher. See, this is where the whole thing of bitterness comes into, and unforgiveness, is... Somebody does you wrong and you get angry about it, but you don't know how to deal with the anger and you let it simmer. And you, you let, and Satan comes along and he can manipulate that in your life. So much so that the longer you go without dealing with it, the more bitter you get, the more unforgiving you get, the more consumed you are with the person who's hurt you that you're angry about. You know what I'm talking about? You ever met people who are bitter about someone? It doesn't matter. You could be talking about how well the pirates are doing, and they turn the conversation around to, do you believe what he did today? He actually drove down the same street as I did and acted like I wasn't there. Do you know what I'm talking about? It can consume you, and, he, and, and what happens is, is that then begins to what? It's an issue. See, here's how it, Satan gets a foothold in your life, and he can then what with you folks? He can control you. To the point where all you need to hear is just the mention of the name. Let's say Bob did something to you. And you're riding down the road, and you're listening to the radio, and they talk about Bob, and you're like, Bob! Urgh! That's manipulation. That's control. That's really the issue here. That's why he's saying you've got to deal with it. You can't let it simmer in your life. Because if you do, you're going to allow Satan to have control of your life. Now, let me, let me clarify something here. Because we, we get more instructed by Hollywood than we do by the Bible. Satan does not need to possess you. To control you. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
may want to write that down. Satan does not need to possess you to control you. Because I want you to understand something about the character of Satan. He is a manipulator. And he knows the buttons to push to get the reaction that he needs to get from you. And my friends, he's an expert. You, you think that somebody you know or some family member you know is the manipulator. I'm going to be honest with you. Satan is the master manipulator. He's had a lifetime of humanity to know how to deal with people to manipulate them. And when he knows your area of weakness and stuff, and he does, I think it's very interesting. When you go to the book of Acts and you read about the sons of Sceva and, and the demon being thrown out by those Jewish, uh, the, the exorcists are trying to attempt to throw out the demon there. And they do it in the name of Jesus and Paul. And they say, Jesus we know and Paul we know. The word know there for Paul is actually knowledge by observation. They're saying, Jesus we know. He's the Son of God. And Paul we know by what? Observation. Your folks are being watched. That's reality. So you've got to deal with the anger... Don't let it simmer in your life, because if you don't, you're giving him the foothold. You're telling to him, it's like, it's like, here's the kryptonite, baby. Take me down. He knows what it is that needs to happen in your life. To manipulate you and to render you useless. Let's go on. Look at verse now, verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer. Rather, let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Work and meet needs. Let me, uh, let me just go ahead and say this. The Bible doesn't concern itself with labor issues. So some of you here are pro-union. Some of you are no union. Some of you are who cares. All right? So we've got three different views here. The Bible doesn't concern itself with that. So I'm not going to talk about that. But I am going to talk to you about what it says that you need to do as a Christian. Take care of your family. Work. That's what it's saying here. You can't get away from it. So I'm going to put on new behavior, and the new behavior is that I need to what? Work. Now he contrasts that with what? Don't what? Steal. All right? I think all of us can live here, no matter what spectrum you are on the labor issue here, okay? The reality is, is all of us here need to, as believers, do what? An honest day's work. Now, that may be defined by whatever, contracts or whatever. But the reality is calling all of us here to what? Work. That's the behavior, to take care of our family. In fact, Paul would say later on, he who cannot take care of his family is worse than an infidel, an unbeliever. That's the whole point. The whole point of the Bible is that you and I need to what? Work. That's the point. I think I've said enough there. Let's go on. 
Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. It's about edifying speech here, folks. Here, here's what it's saying. Engage in constructive speech rather than destructive. Here's what he's saying here, and, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. We, he's talking about our mouths, what comes out of them. And, and, and I've got to be careful because somebody might say, well, you're just being legalistic. No, I'm not being legalistic. I want you to think about what comes out of your mouth. Because language is fluid. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the meaning of words is fluid. And, and, and things we say today, we would never say 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I'll give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Okay? In even different areas, what may be appropriately said here, somewhere else is not appropriate. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So I'm, I'm pastoring in Canada. And, and I'm preaching, and, 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 and this comes out of my mouth. And they just screwed it up. Now, that's, that's everyday talk around here, right? You know, I'm working in the Christmas tree fields over in Indiana County, and that's just normal. Every, I had a deacon come to me afterwards and say, Pastor, I think you need to watch what you're saying in the pulpit. What? What did I say? I'm going through the mind. What about, what about? You, you use that term "screwed up." That's not good up here. So here's the thing: you've got to be careful what you say. Now, some of you are like, "What's the problem with that?" I don't know. I just know that they didn't want me to say it. So I didn't say it anymore. Did you understand what I'm saying? I didn't say it anymore. Now, here's the attitude I could have copped. Come on, you people need to get with it. What's the matter with you? No. I had to be sensitive to the people who are around me. This is what I'm saying. I need to build people up. If what I'm saying that is so insignificant... hinders them spiritually that they can't listen to what I'm saying other, other than that? That's what I need to do. Change my talking. Do you know what I mean? Because words mean different things. You know? Words mean different things. And especially if you're in Christian circles. You know, we have our own Christianese language. Have you realized that? There is a church language that nobody else can figure out but church people. You know, and we talk certain things, and if you were to talk about it on the street in Kerbinsville, people are like, what are you talking about? You know, the reality is, you need to learn about your speaking. And when you speak, you need to speak in such a way that it's going to be constructive rather than destructive. And you need to be careful what you're saying. I know the culture is changing. But be careful what you're saying. Now, some of you immediately are saying, you know, that is impossible. What do you want me to be, a monk? No. But I want you to think about what you're saying and the implications of it. 
and the effect that it's having on other people. Because the issue is, look at what the verse says. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. What needs to come out of my mouth needs to come out of my mouth in such a way that it's going to impart what? Necessary edification. It's going to impart grace to them. So we need to consider what we're saying. That's all I'm saying. And again, some of you may move from here, and you'll hear people talk on the street, and you'll be like, oh, shocked at what they're saying, but it becomes a part of their everyday language. But then you may say something that shocks them. You need, you understand, you need to be a student. Listen to what you're saying. Listen to what others are saying around you. And, and, and don't let it be corrupt that's coming out of your mouth. Now, there is one other component here. Here's the thing. And I know Christians like to do this. Because I used to get these emails. Until I mentioned it the last time. we got to watch the junk that comes out of our emails. We've got to watch the junk we put on our Facebook. We've got to be careful. Now, I think that's reflected more of a heart there, a heart issue, than anything. But the reality is, that I think it's very, don't let anything corrupt come out of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, let's pray. 